Please remain standing and open your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John 5, verses 13 through 15. 1 John 5, 13 through 15. And here is what God's word says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Please be seated. And we need to pray one more time and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray for something not natural, but supernatural. Help, Lord. We are listening. Help us to hear what you have for us today from your word. Help each of us, including me, today, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been here a while, the last few weeks, if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll know that what I'm going to say And these opening sentences are true. God is sovereign. God is unchanging. God's plan will be worked out in history, and God can't be rattled. There's not one little smidgen of a chance that God has to have to retreat and regroup and recalibrate and say, i got to refigure this out. I miscalculated, I assigned this to the wrong angel or the wrong whatever, and I I didn't quite uh, uh, figure this out. I'm over budget or I'm under budget or I have a supply chain problem or whatever uh, uh, happens in our life. Uh, God does not have to regroup. What chance is there that God would have to regroup? One in a hundred, one in a million? No, no. I'm telling you, there is no chance. No chance. Uh, What then is the purpose of prayer? Because a lot of times we think if we just pray a little harder, or if we just get one or two more people recruited to pray, something's going to change that wasn't going to happen before. It's almost like that children's book, Horton Hears a Who. And sometimes we have a theology that says we're all little who's down here in Whoville, and if we can get that one person to yell, maybe they'll hear us up there in heaven somewhere and do something about it. But we know that cannot be true from everything we know about God and God's sovereignty, God's unchangingness. Which begs the question then, at least to me, why pray? Is it a good question or a fair question? If everything is done, God's will is established and settled, why pray? The Bible tells us to pray. Here's scriptures we're familiar with. Pray without ceasing. Jesus said, uh, um, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. We're told in Scripture, and we'll get to this verse a little bit later, you have not because you ask not. 
We have the story of the unjust judge. This is one of the best little vignettes in all of Scripture, I think, where the woman just keeps bugging this judge, and he's a crook, but she just keeps pestering and pestering and pestering, and finally says, just to get this woman off my back, I'll go ahead and answer her and take care of it. And, and the story was told us to say, if, if an unjust judge does that, how about a loving God? Keep praying is what the Scripture tells us. And yet we're also told that everything is settled, that God is sovereign. So why pray? We take these things about prayer, and if we're not careful, we do form a false theology. We say that we can affect God. Why in our worship folder, why in our worship service is there something called a pastoral prayer? Well, we see some great things about prayer. Um, here's, a, here's a formula that said to help me for prayer. Somebody, when I was a kid, told me this. They said, use the word acts, A-C-T-S, acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I understand adoration. That's a good point of prayer, and, and I have no, no questions about that. You adore God. You go to God and you adore God for who God is. We tried to start a worship service with that. Those hymns saying God is great and praising God. Confession, we understand that. We know we need to confess our sin to the Lord. Boy, how can we go to God with a straight face, holding on and loving the sins that we have and and nurturing them and sheltering them? As Ryle said, making a little truce with, with some of them. Like we all have this one little sin or, or so, he said, that uh, we, we make a truce with. I won't bother you if you won't bother me. We'll just kind of keep it on the, on the sly there, you and me, my little sin. You know, we need to confess. We understand that. Thanksgiving, yes. And, and, and as the world, at least our, our nation in the world, uh, looks at Thanksgiving and we start to list things to be thankful for, there's a lot of that. But the supplication, the asking God for the requests, How does that fit with God's absolute sovereignty? What a good question. A.W. Pink, in this book I'm I'm reading and leaning on, on God's sovereignty, uh, gave an example of a wrong prayer. Uh, Somebody said, human destinies may be changed and molded uh, by by the will of man. And he said, that is rank infidelity. Human destinies may be changed and molded by the will of man. All of a sudden, if our prayers and if we get together and we can change God and lobby God like somebody lobbying for a law change or cut a deal with God, um, who does that mean is really in charge then? It's our negotiating power. It's our persistence. And all of a sudden, it takes something away from the sovereign God of the Bible that we've been trying to examine. Can you change the purpose of God by your prayers? And yet when I look at that encounter of Abraham with the angel of the Lord who was headed down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and I see the negotiating going on, where does that fit then? And why do we pray? And what's going on with our prayers of supplication? It's about here that I have to say, this is really above my pay grade and yours. We can look at the Bible. We go through the Bible. Uh, We do what we can. It's here that I say this is a mystery. 
On the one hand, God says, pray, pray without ceasing, bring your request to the Lord. On the other hand, we say God is sovereign. Uh, Be a little bit comfortable with the mystery, just as you are when it comes to Calvinism. But understand it's true. You cannot lobby God and make God change his course if God is sovereign. It's here that I say both are true, even if we can't reconcile them fully in our little pea brains. Sometimes I just fall back on this old Pentecostal preacher. I was there with a relative who invited me to church on a Sunday down in Milton, Florida a long time ago and went to church with them to encourage them as they were coming back into the faith. This pastor said this. He said, my deep theology on prayer is this. It's better when you pray than when you don't. And sometimes that's the best thing to just fall back on. But we need to look and see as we are As a congregation looking at the Bible, God is sovereign. And there is a question to be addressed. If God is sovereign, why do we pray and bring our supplications to God? You say, what about passages like Ephesians 1, where God says things are fixed in time? What about those passages? A good help is, is, is Martin Luther's phrase where he says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. That might help you. That helped me. I'll, say it again. I'll read it again. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. So this is not a whole treatise on prayer. It's not a sermon series on prayer. This is prayer as it fits into our our growing understanding of God's sovereignty. Three points this morning. Why did God give something called prayer? Why did God ordain prayer? Why did God design prayer might be a better way to phrase that. First point, that the Lord God himself should be honored. Secondly, for God to use our prayers to grow us in grace. And finally, that we can seek from him the things that we need. And we'll spend more time on point three, but these first two are critical. God designed prayer that God himself should be honored. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. I didn't write it out, so let's look at it. Isaiah 57, 15 says this. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. When we go to prayer and we come to God, It is so honoring to God to make our requests of him and to talk to him and to bow down and worship him. We are giving God his proper place. People who pray for rain, as Elijah did on Mount Carmel, as other Christians have during time of drought, and they pray for rain. You read about times even in our own nation's history where they've gotten together and the crops are failing and starvation is coming and they get together and they pray 
for God to send the rain. What are they doing? They're saying God is great. Only God is the one in charge of the rain. And they're honoring God as they bring the request to him. A God-designed prayer that God himself should be honored. People who pray for the salvation of others, as you do for your kids and for your grandkids. Uh, When we go to God and we make that prayer request for, for God to save people, what are we saying? We're saying, God, you are the Holy One. You are the Sovereign One, and you are the one who saves. We're coming to you. When you pray, you worship God, and that's what you were created to do. Prayer is good. God designed prayer so that we could honor him as we pray. Don't we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And we we bow ourselves down to the only one who can really answer our prayers properly. If you need a million dollars, I'd be flattered if you came and asked me for a million dollars, I guess. Maybe I would be flattered. I'd be surprised. I'd be shocked. It's like, what makes you think I got a million dollars? If I need a million dollars, I go to the person who has the million dollars. If I need a ride somewhere, I go to someone who's got a car. That's where I start, and maybe the willingness to, to drive and the time and the, and the inclination. We take our request to God. What do we do? What, what, is, what are we saying about God when we take our request to him? We're saying you're God, and God designed prayer. That he should be honored by us. When you ask God for help, even if you are sheepishly going to him as a quote-unquote last resort, you're still honoring him, finally. should be our first resort, but a lot of times it is our last resort. But when we do that, we are saying, God, you are God. And I'm putting myself on my knees in a humbled position, and I'm bowing down to your awesomeness, and we are saying about God what is true. And that's connected to the second point, which is that God designed prayer as a way to help us grow in grace. Prayer is for our own spiritual blessing. It humbles us. Not only does it say to God that God is God, it reminds us that we are not God. We acknowledge that we need God to do what we cannot do beginning with that first prayer that we prayed when we entered the kingdom of heaven, which is, God, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I trust in Jesus Christ alone and what Jesus did. Nothing in my hands I'm bringing. I'm only going to hang on and cling to this cross. And from that prayer onward, our prayers are reminders to us that we are not God, that our wife is not God that our husband is not God, that our job is not God, that our politics are not God, that our our possessions are not God. God is God and nothing else is. And when we come to God, it humbles us and it it, it helps us to, to realize who we are and who we need. Can you truly come to God for salvation with even an ounce of pride? We come with nothing. 
We say, God, you are everything. And it helps us grow in grace in our own lives. Knocks the pride right out of us. I refer to this sometimes, and it just occurred to me again. Um, There's a book that I enjoyed reading a lot. Actually, first I heard it read to me in an audio form. But um, the writer was someone I hadn't been familiar with, but some of you might be. Uh, Joan Didion, when her husband died and her daughter was in a coma. And there's a section in there, and I don't even know where she's coming from spiritually, but she said, at that point in time, she said, you have all your addresses, you have all your, your books, you have all your names of all your people, and you page through them, and none of them can help you. All your props, if they're people, are nothing. And it's just you. And just God, because there's all the, the stuff that we, that we counted on are gone. A guy wrote a song and he said, You can count on your charm and you can revel in your wealth and you can hope in your appearance and trust in your health. And he talked about all these things we do, but he said it's like a house of cards that crumbles and falls when you really need it. And our prayers, even our prayers before our greatest crisis, but in our little mini crises, uh, our practice and understanding and going to the one true God who can save. He saved us. He saved our souls uh, from the outset. And he's the one we go to for everything as we live out and ongo in our Christian lives. So we see prayer, two, two reasons we've talked about. God designed prayer that God himself should be honored. God designed prayer as a way to help us grow in grace. And finally, uh, the main question, and, and we will say and understand, prayer is appointed by God so that we can seek from him the things we need. If you walk out of here and say, well, pastor said don't even bother praying, it doesn't make a difference, then, then I have absolutely, utterly failed you. And you got the wrong message. We pray. We're just trying to reconcile how do our prayers line up with the fact that God is sovereign. So first of all, it's not to tell God what he doesn't already know. With others, sometimes we're in need. And we're kind of proud, and so we drop hints around of what we need, don't we? kind of let it be known a little bit, but if they don't pick up on the hint, then we get mad at them for not understanding what we're trying to to communicate, but we're not just saying, I need this, need a truck, need a a back, I need a a, a wheelbarrow, I need a a meal. We don't say that, we go, oh, I sure am hungry. Well, with God, you don't, don't be too proud to beg. That's our attitude with God. Uh, With People, uh, and with God, it's not telling him what he doesn't already know. You can say, God, you know what my bank account combined with my cupboard looks like. You know, as we approach what may be a, a recession, or we may be this, or a job loss, or whatever, you know what it looks like, God. I, I know I can't hide it from you anyway. And with God, the greatest thing is we can just be open, because he already knows. Prayer is not telling God, something he doesn't know. God, I've been hiding it, but I haven't been telling anybody, but I'll tell you, God, can you keep a secret? The doctor says I have cancer. 
you know what, God knows that cancer, and you can't have kept that secret from God anyway. That's a good thing. You're not telling God something God doesn't know when you pray. Matthew 6, 8, For your Father knows what you have need of before you ask Him. So why pray? Well, one reason is God tells us to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. Luke 18, 1, May not always to pray. James 5, 15 and 16, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Examples of Jesus and Paul. What was Jesus always doing? He was out praying. Went out and prayed all night and came and selected his disciples. Went out and prayed here and then caught up with them walking on the water on the boat. Uh, Jesus, uh, in the flesh, was a man of prayer. Paul's always saying, I'm praying for you always. Um, So God tells us to pray. That's a good enough reason to pray. And if that's all we had, that would be the reason you pray. What does this have to do with God's sovereignty? Well, not only is it not to tell him something that's new information for him, but it's also not intended to change God's purpose. And this is where maybe you've heard this before. It's a good thing to remember and think about. If, if, it's, um, if it's the first time, then good for you. I remember the first time somebody told me this and helped me out. They said, God ordains the means as well as the ends. Your prayers are part of God's sovereign purpose. God uses your prayers, but God ordains the means as well as the ends. As God uses the preaching of the gospel to accomplish his purposes, so he has ordained your prayers as part of his accomplishing his purpose. Every day, my mom and dad get together. They have a portion of scripture. They have a devotional. And they pray for every kid and grandkid. And that's a pretty long list. And they pray. And I know somebody besides me and Paula are praying for our kids and grandkids. God's ordained that. Now dad says, I'm getting old and I'm getting impatient. And I don't think he's working fast enough. <laughs> and that's my problem. He said, so pray for me that I'll be patient with God. But God ordains those. And when those kids and grandkids start turning back to the Lord and making good on their baptisms and and following through with those prayers they prayed as children when they asked Jesus to come into their heart and save them and as they've wandered and drifted, God's doing the work. But God even ordains the prayers. And God uses the prayers in some way we don't understand. But God ordains the means as well as the ends. And God's in charge of all of that. God feeds the hungry. God uses a human being to feed the hungry. That's part of God's plan to feed the hungry. God could feed somebody by sending bread in in the mouths of ravens like he did in Scripture. God could feed everybody like that if God wanted to. Don't you believe that? But most of the time when God feeds people food... He ordains other people to help them and to prepare the food and and to to recognize the need and to give food. And God ordains the prayers as well as the results. Somebody wrote this. If indeed all things happen by blind chance or a fatal necessity, prayers in that case could be of no moral importance efficacy and of no use. 
But since all things are regulated by the direction of divine wisdom, prayers have a place in the order of events. And God uses your prayers. Don't stop praying. In fact, pray even more. God's calling you to prayer and God uses your prayers. Elijah knew that God would give rain. And what happened when Elijah knew God would send rain on the land? Elijah started praying. <laughs> he already knew what happened, but he prayed. James 5, 17 and 18 says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. How about this one? And this was one I either, if I, if I knew it, I forgot it until this week. But Daniel was reading the scriptures. Daniel worked for two administrations, two different governments. And uh, along comes the Darius government, as, as the one overthrew, and Daniel was working for them then. And it says in Daniel 9, 2, and 3, in the first year of Darius's reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books, so he was looking at scriptures, or he was looking at something God had given. I perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I was looking at scripture, I was looking at what was written in Jeremiah, and it would be about 70 years, and God would restore his people. And I, I figured it out, it was about 70 years. What did he do? Didn't pack his suitcase, though he might have, but it says he did what? Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He knew what God was going to do. He knew it was the time. And then he just prayed even more. We pray. God ordains the means and God uses your prayers. Your prayers that you pray are not ineffective. Pray. The design of prayer is that God's will be accomplished in his own good time and in his own good way. There's a prayer that never fails. Here's one that never fails. It's the prayer that says, not my will, but thine be done. Every time, God's will is done. Pray those prayers in that way. Jesus set the example for us. Did Jesus know when he was on earth that he would be exalted ultimately by the Father after the resurrection? Yes, he did. It wasn't a secret, but what did Jesus pray in John 17? Four and five, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He prayed what he knew would happen, and he prayed it. Jesus knew that none of his people would perish. Yet what was his prayer? John 17, 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Your prayers are used by God. Your prayers are loved by God. Your prayers glorify God. Your prayers keep you humble and keep your perspective right with God. Boy, I can tell you, but you can tell me about your own spiritual walk with God. The times when you've been walking and praying with God, those periods of time, it's not that they've been trouble-free, but I bet you've been 
you've been, instead of saying, what have I done regarding sin? You're more inclined to have said, here's what's coming, what's coming, Lord. And you're walking with God and you're more on your guard and, 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 and life is better when you're praying to God because it's keeping you humble and you're thinking in terms of God's will and God's work. As we apply this and summarize this, first of all, um, what we've already said and what we know to be true, God is not our servant. He's not a genie in a bottle granting you three or 3,000 wishes. That's not our relationship with God. God is sovereign and God is love for his people. Pink quoted a guy named Gill. He said this, What is prayer? This is the way and means God has appointed for the communication of the blessing of his goodness to his people. For though he has purposed, provided, and promised them, yet he will be sought unto to give them. And it's a duty and a privilege to ask. Fourth point of application. We worry about unanswered prayers. When we don't see our desired result, Sometimes we think those are unanswered, and we talk about unanswered prayers. Is there such a thing as an unanswered prayer, though, really? Is there such a thing as an unanswered prayer? And the answer is no. God answers every prayer you've prayed. And I was taught in Sunday school, here's the three options. God either says yes, or God says no, or God says wait. And I told you how I was a little kid. What are the three ways? And I'm raising my hand because I was wanting to be, you know, I was like Hermione Granger or somebody like that. Got to answer first. He said, okay, David, what are the three answers? And I said, God either says yes, no, or maybe. And all, this, all this, the Sunday school teachers laughed politely. And I didn't feel too bad, but I felt a little embarrassed as a little kid. And I always remembered it. Yes, no, or wait. God doesn't say maybe. I mean, yes, no, or Wait. And it's all for good. When God says yes to your prayer, is it because God's a good God and you can expect a good result? Of course it is. If God says no to your prayer, is it because God is a good God and you can expect a good result? Of course it is. If God says wait to your prayer, not yet, is it because God's a good God and you can expect a good result? Of course Because God loves his people. And God loves you, his people. And you pray. Think of the example of Paul asking God to remove the thorn in the flesh. And in that case, God said no. What a good God for God's good purpose. So we get back to our initial scripture that we opened with to kick off this this biblical look at, at sovereignty and prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. What does it say again? Well, let, let's, let's go back to verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So this is instruction for Christians. And this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we ask of him. Prayer is really, you know, I think there's nothing wrong. In fact, it's a good thing for you to schedule prayer time and to try to have regular prayer time. 
that old hymn that we sing sometimes, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that's good. But prayer shouldn't stop there. Um, prayer is really a, a life of constant submission and walking with God and talking with God. I think it's portrayed best by a secular movie. Um, and I think of, and I know John likes this movie too. And I think Steve told me it's one of his favorite, Fiddler on the Roof. And you think of Tevye pushing his cart, saying, God, what are you doing now? His horse is lame and he's pulling it. And he's saying, God, we really are your chosen people. Couldn't you have chosen someone else? Uh, there's a dialogue that goes on and you see that portrayed and you look at scripture and you say, this is your life, Christian. Talk with God. Uh, somebody said, I think I heard it in a contemporary Christian song, and a real, she sang it in a real breathy, breathy voice, but I want to pray like breathing. And I thought, that's a, good, that, that's, that's a good definition. You walk with God and you pray to God. Yes, you have times and you have lists and you have journals and you have all these things. That's a good thing to have an organized, set-aside prayer time. But my hope for all of us is that we take away from this and say, just in the, in the day-to-day with my hands in the dishwater or my, my whatever it is God's called me to do on whatever job I've got, I'm just going to take a moment because I can talk to God and I can pray to him. And my prayer is a prayer of submission to him. And all I'm saying to God when I'm praying is, God, you're God and I'm not, and I love that arrangement, and I can just talk to you while I'm driving. And as you go about your business, you can talk to God about people. I tell Ruth that I always pray, if ever I stop in, at Panera, whenever Panera gives like the free coffees you know, for a month and all the unlimited, I don't pay the full price because I'm not, don't come to me for a million dollars either. But, but when they have the deal going, and then I'm in, in Panera quite a bit, and I just, I, I've made it a habit. I, I told Ruth I pray for not only the, the, the young man or young woman who gives me my coffee, but I say a prayer for them because probably nobody's praying for them. And it's a reminder to pray for Ruth because she works at Panera. And, and so Ruth, Ruth gets my prayer, prayers too uh, whenever I stop there. Um, you can train yourself. There was a boy in seminary. There was a, we thought he was just being a mean guy. We lived in Clinton, Mississippi. All the, the married students' housing and all their families were living there. And train tracks ran right beside it. And without fail, about 3 o'clock every morning, Here's that train whistle. And it's like, I know that guy's doing that just to be a joker and, and wake us all up. And somebody said, I'm going to take that time. And whenever I hear that train, I'm going to pray for who's ever pulling that whistle and waking me up. And that's God's reminder to pray for that person. You can go and you can train yourself and you can think and make your life a constant prayer. You're driving with your kids and you hear an ambulance go, well, turn that radio off and just... Say, hey, kids, I'm driving. I'm not going to close my eyes, but one of you, let's pray for whoever's in trouble right now. And you can, by God's grace, make prayer not just a scheduled time between, you know, 5 and 6 a.m., but just through your life. Um, And we do that. We've done that. Then we fall away from it, and, and the Christian life is three forward and two back, and I know that. But, boy... That's how you apply God's sovereignty in your own life of prayer. Quote, real prayer is communion with God so that there will be common thoughts between his mind and ours. What is needed is for him to fill our hearts with his thoughts 
and then his desires will become our desires flowing back to him. Here then is the meeting place between God's sovereignty and Christian prayer. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we do not so ask, he does not hear us. As says the Apostle James, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The more you walk with God, the more you uh, stay in his word, the more he communicates with you, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're living like a Christian and you're praying without even meaning to. I inserted that country song because, not just because I thought that uh, April would be back, who knows every country song, but there's a country song and uh, a couple of kids in our, in our Sunday school class knew it. Garth Brooks had a song called, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. Great song. He said, I was dating this woman, and, and boy, uh, she was my girlfriend in high school, and every night I'd pray, God, oh, put me with her, oh, God. And he prayed fervently for that woman to be his wife, to live with forever, to have and hold and all that. And God said no and busted that thing up, and he was heartbroken. And then with his wife, who God gave him, who he really loved, he saw that woman later. And then the point of the song is, she's all right, but I thank God for unanswered prayers because I like what God did there, and I'm glad God said no in that one. Uh, God answers. You just pray, you just talk, you just understand prayer is not so much an act as an attitude. It's the attitude of dependency on God. And yet prayer is an act. We submit We don't dictate to God, but we submit. Our relationship with God in prayer is not like being at a restaurant and calling the Holy Spirit over as our waiter and saying, take this back, I don't like the way God cooked this up. Uh, Make him him do it again. And that's not our prayers. Our prayers to God are saying, thank you, God, for what you've given. Help me to understand, because sometimes it doesn't feel so good. Old Finley, pastor who tried to train me, uh, one of the things they say about him is they could count on him. They're going to the hospital at 5 o'clock. Here's his little car chugging up their lane before they head out to the hospital. And he's going to pray with them before they go in. And he's always going to say, well, we don't understand everything, but what do you think? Is, is God trying to, to tell us something here? What, what are we doing? We're going to submit to God, and we're going to look for God's voice, even in these hard circumstances. And then he put his arm around him and pray. And that's how we approach things. We must. If God is sovereign, that's how we must approach our prayers because God is sovereign and God is good to his people. Think of the circumstance that even allows you to pray that God saved you and brought you into his family. We're 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 coming toward the end here, but I thought uh, as a reminder, not everybody has this privilege of prayer. Just because somebody says, I'm praying, doesn't mean that God even hears their prayer. And there's like a machine gun full of verses that, that from all over Scripture that say this. John 9.31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Proverbs 28.9, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. But you are saved. You are chosen by God. You are loved. And if you're a Christian, God hears your prayers. And God loves you. And God responds and interacts with you. And that's what it means to be a Christian. is somebody who gets to pray and then who prays. So we'll wrap up with John 15, 16, where it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. And that's where we have to stop. But don't stop praying. Pray more. Talk to God more. He listens. He hears. He responds. He draws you to him. You're drawn to him. He's glorified. You grow in your faith. And he hears those requests. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you for designing and creating in this world, in this system of Christianity and and in the life of, of your believers, this whole understanding of prayer. Thank you, God, that we can pray. And thank you that, that, uh, that you're there on the receiving end of our prayers. And thank you for what prayer does to us as we pray and humble ourselves for you. Lord, help us in our prayer lives as a church, as individuals, as families. In Jesus' name, amen.